Welcome to CyberCast. I'm your host, John Ramos. There is certainly an app for everything these days. For the government, certifying those apps has historically been a time-intensive process. But a recent pilot conducted by the Department of Homeland Security's Science and Technology Directorate, along with the National Security Agency-funded National Information Assurance Partnership, also known as NIAP, showed it may be possible to automate as much as 90% of the app software evaluation process. This has the potential to reduce evaluation time from three to six months to just two hours. We spoke with Vincent Sridipan, Program Manager for Mobile Security R&D at DHS Science and Technology Directorate, part of the Homeland Security Advanced Research Projects Agency Cybersecurity Division, and with Michelle Brown, Deputy Director at NIAP, to learn more about this new development and what it could mean for the use of mobile apps on government devices moving forward. So before we get to the specific topic that brings you here to speak with us today, could you uh, provide a brief overview of each of your organizations? Sure, thank you. My name is Vincent Srotapan. I work for DHS Science and Technology Directorate. Specifically, we're the research arm for the Department of Homeland Security, primarily focused in the areas of mobile security and emergency communications research. My name is Michelle Brown, and I work in the NIAP office. NIAP stands for the National Information Assurance Partnership, and it is part of NSA's Cybersecurity Collaboration Center. NIAP is responsible for overseeing a national program to evaluate and certify commercial products used in national security systems. And in addition to that, NIAP is also responsible for developing the security requirements for which these products are then evaluated against. And these requirements are all published in documents that we call protection profiles, which are developed in open collaborative forums consisting of both government, industry, and academia. So include like product developers, testing labs, government end users, everyone and anyone who has an interest. Wow, that's very involved, especially on the mobile side, it sounds like. I was reading about the report that recently came out at the end of June from your groups and that you both worked on, and it was reporting on a pilot that you all recently did. Uh, could you talk about the purpose, maybe the outcomes of the NIAP mobile app security vetting project? The actual paper that you saw publicly was actually an effort we piloted in partnership with the NIAP program and, and DHS S&T, where we looked at taking a mobile application vetting and seeing if, in this case, a research and development project we did on the applied side could automate the actual protection profile for mobile app vetting, right? And so there's a lot of vendors out there, a lot of folks, you know, even our own researchers that may claim they can do something, but until you actually prove it out, and in this case, we took mobile application that actually has the real certification. In this case, it was a Hypori by Intelligent Waves that does virtual mobile infrastructure type of thing. So think of like a virtual device that you can use through an application and it's all in the back end. They actually have that certification with Lidos. They did the official certification through that certified lab. And the NIAP validators actually uh, you know, adjudicated and that or proven out. What we did was we tried to mock the same thing. But instead of going through, say, the formal process, we took an applied research and development you know, effort that we did. Now it's more of a you know, product capability out there in the market and looked at, could we actually accomplish this? in an automated fashion. So instead of, you know, taking, you know, months, you know, anywhere between a couple months up to nine months and costing X amount of, you know, dollars, time and resources, 
you know, could we do this, right, in a matter of whether it's weeks or hours, right? And as you look at the report, this was actually something we could pull off within about 120 minutes, so about two hours for both dynamic and static and different types of testing. But more importantly, bringing in not only the actual labs to look at this, but the NIAP validators themselves to see, can this be done, right? And so it was a very much a pilot project that we did to prove out automation and see how far we could get. And both for Android and iOS, I mean, you can read the report, but it looks very promising. So our purpose of this really is going to be to lower the barrier of entry when you talk about doing things, whether it's the NIAP protection profile for mobile app vetting, whether it's the full certification or a compliance method. In both cases, we want to make that easier to do and then better protect, you know, applications that are actually used within federal government. From NIAP's perspective, we really see automation as one of the key opportunities for us to keep up with the rapid pace of technology to ensure we can still meet government and user needs in a timely manner. And one really cool thing about this pilot is that it not only showed it can be used for a NIAP evaluation, but also that these results are accurate and trustworthy and can be used for app vetting requirements as well, just like Vincent just said. So we really do think there's a lot of value here for both government and industry sides to just continue development on these types of tools because we see them as one of the best ways to go forward to increase scale and the complexity of certifying these different technologies, especially with mobile apps. So we are really looking forward to this area and looking for new future ways that we can continue to use automation to really improve the efficiency of our evaluation and validation process as well. No, thank you. From reading the report, it shows it does look like this approach uh, appears to show great promise for saving both time and money down the line. If you would indulge me with one follow-up on that, just wanted to, to clarify is it seemed like from reading the report that you were able to automate a good portion of what would normally be done by humans in this process. Were you able to eliminate humans completely from the, or manual testing completely from the equation? Or is that something that needs to be kind of worked on a little bit more down the line? So there's always a human in the loop for verification, right? That's always important. I don't think you're going to get to the point of full automation where you don't want any human checking. That's for sure. But as far as, you know, how far we can get, there there are some parameters where it's just not possible, where it does require a manual testing. But, you know, when you get to like, you know, at the lower end of 60% automation, at the higher end of 80, 90% automation, all of those seem pretty feasible. Sort of depends on the parameter and the functionality of the application and what's applicable per the protection profile. So I don't think you're, we're going to get to a point where a human is not needed at all. Some tests do require some kind of manual input, but other times, you know, it's policy oriented. But a lot of times you can actually automate, you know, semi-automation, right? It automate as much as possible to make this worthwhile. So to add to that, just like Vincent said, there were still some tests that definitely still needed a human touch, but we were able to still use the tool to provide evidence and other artifacts that severely lessened the amount of work for the human. So even though it's not fully automated for those tests, there was still great benefit to reduce the amount of time needed. And as we develop these tools, we're also going to look at our actual protection profile requirements and testing and see how they can be amended with automation in mind. Because when these tests were originally written, they were written with manual testing in the back of our minds. So there are even more efficiencies that can be gained as we continue going down this path. 
That's a, a really good point you brought up there, Michelle, at the end. And yes, I mean, this was, I want to congratulate you both for I mean, the efforts that your teams have obviously, a lot of work went into this over a couple of years. And the report does a great job of highlighting the advantages and the potential for this seems to be significant across not just your agencies, but of course, a lot of other places in the government. So changing topics a little bit, Michelle, you spoke about earlier about how NIAP is responsible for vetting apps that will be installed on that have national security ramifications, but also the ramifications for just any kind of agency use or any like a TSA phone or someone working at the Pentagon or, or some such. A more topical app that's been out recently are these contact tracing apps, such as the COVID-wise app that recently was released in Virginia. And obviously, we have a lot of government employees, federal employees working in Northern Virginia and Southern Maryland and D.C. itself. Could you uh, maybe talk a little bit about how the security vetting is applicable to these contact tracing apps that we probably going to see more and more of in the near future? So like you said, NIAB develops these security requirements with national security systems in mind. However, they can be applied to any software application, regardless as to what system it's for, and they would still provide a really good baseline set of security. So someone running an app security vetting tool like this would still provide a lot of value and useful information for those decision makers when trying to decide which app they should use for their networks. So when I say a baseline set of security, these are things like, is the app a good citizen on the platform? Is it using good cryptography that's properly implemented? Pretty basic things like that, that can really go a long way to protect users' information and networks overall. I will say, you know, contact tracing, you know, for COVID, in this case, a mobile application is just another, you know, use of a mobile app, right? I'm familiar with Virginia's app only because they specifically use, you know, Google Apple's API framework for contact tracing, which is, I think, a great, you know, not endorsing anything, but definitely a, a great use where the framework already includes considerations for security and privacy. But in truth, you know, when you develop an app, whether you use the framework or you just develop it on your own, you know, what other means you have. Security best practices like the NIAP protection profile for mobile app vetting or say NIST Special Pub 800-163, Rev1, and things like OWASP Top 10, all of these are just, you know, traditional best practices that app developers should follow anyway. So I don't think it's anything special. And so these types of requirements and protection profile guidance, these are all, you know, best practices that should be followed throughout regardless of the app. Thank you. Thank you for providing a little more clarity on that. Shifting to another topic that's been in the news lately with 5G, and obviously there's a lot of questions out about security of it. Could you uh, maybe elaborate a little more on how our science technologies R&D efforts supporting the national strategy to secure 5G? I'll say in general, all of our efforts or projects in DHS Science and Technology Directorate have a customer in mind, right? We do research and development on the applied side for a specific mission. In this case, for 5G as a topic area in mobile security, Ours is CISA, Cybersecurity Infrastructure Security Agency. You can see, you know, they have an entire, you know, webpage. It's their number one operational priority. But in our case, we look at applied research and development. So if you look at things like we have a broad agency announcement, this one is it's titled Secure and Resilient Mobile Network Infrastructure. Essentially, it's a call for research that we have in three technical topic areas. And just at a high level, it's 4G, LTE and below, it's 5G going forward, and then more on the enterprise network side that we focus in. 
And all those are actually coming to award by the end of this fiscal year. So end of September, all those efforts are actually being awarded. And I can just at a high level talk about things where, you know, it's test and evaluation sort of lab as a service to support CISA's missions and things like wireless priority services and others. And then there's more, you know, generic, how do I protect secure voice and data and other things of that nature. But Overall, our research on the applied side is in the works to be awarded coming up at the end of September. And also we have uh, supporting the national strategy efforts where we look at, it'll be public, I believe, in the next month or two, 5G testbed framework under what's called the Federal Mobility Group. It's chartered under the Fed CIO Council. And essentially that effort looks to share, oh, it's a, to provide a framework for 5G testing based on use cases, based on parameter considerations and actually looking at how can we spur and support collaboration in the 5G test arena. Collaboration, you're saying. So that would that be collaboration between the government agencies, private industry, both? So I think it's all the above, but I think the starting point definitely will need to be on the public sector first. For example, you can see all the various efforts, you know, DOD may be doing, State Department, NIST, NSF, and DHS and others. All of us are doing different things, but being able to share information, collaborate the right way, all of that's still in the works, right? It's all a great opportunity and a great target. But I think that we definitely have areas to work on that will be much more meaningful to support the national strategy uh, to secure 5G. Thank you. Thank you for clarifying. That's very helpful. You were talking a little bit a minute ago about some of the information that can be shared by so-called bad applications. And it brings to mind the story from a couple of years ago where there were members of the military who were using fitness tracker and the application, when it was released, the data was aggregated and suddenly some locations that we didn't want to have public were public. That's one that's obviously out there from and in the public domain. But Michelle, could you maybe explain a little more about how these so-called bad apps are impacting security of government-funded mobile devices and how government CISOs can improve security of their mobile devices against these security threats? We found that, you know, especially given the current pace of technology, even in the app world when things are being developed so fast, that often building security into these products is not always the top priority or what's on the front of everyone's mind. For instance, when a developer is creating a new app, they're often focusing on developing a new feature, a new capability for their end user. And then when that end user gets that new app, their first thought is not, how is this protecting my information? It's, let me see what this new cool thing can do for me and how it can help me out. So we found that just missing that security piece has created a lot of gaps in these quick paced development apps. So there are just some really basic security features that can go a really long way to protect your devices and networks, especially when protecting your communications from unauthorized entities. And like you mentioned, sharing location information when that should not be. So really the requirements and tests that we set out in our software app PP really cover a vast majority of that threat landscape. So we, of course, would recommend CISOs to utilize either NIAP certified or NIAP apps to help protect against these threats. And that's also true for NIAP certified mobile devices and MDMs, not just the apps. So the combination of using the devices and the apps together really have the necessary security functionality to mitigate a vast majority of these threats. And it's a really good first step to strengthening your networks. I was not aware of the uh, mobile device aspect of the certification as well. That that definitely makes perfect sense, actually. Vincent, is there anything you'd like to uh, say in addition to what Michelle was talking about? 
Yeah. So for whether device or applications, as Michelle mentioned, you know, NIAP does have a great protection profile, even for the MDMs that manage for configuration management and policy enforcement. I will say things like commercial solutions for classified, you know, they have a thing of something like a approved products list that's listed online. So what types of devices, what types of apps that do have that certification, that's always a great thing to look at. The other one is to do like an allow or deny list for application. So, you know, it's one thing if it's a personal device, that's a little harder to control and and work through. But if it's a government furnished equipment, depending on how you do your deployment model, I mean, I recommend looking at, you know, NIST 800-124 Rev 2, where, you know, they talk about that deployment model because, you know, how you deploy and configure your devices, how you, you know, allow or not allow applications on there for, say, personal use or, say, government only use are all very important. The tools are out there today, but you really should look at it from a lifecycle management model to really protect your devices and your enterprise. Thank you very much. And actually, I wanted to kind of follow up on that with the CISO comment. But first, something Michelle just said kind of rang a bell for something when we talked about earlier in the topic in the program today. When you talked about the quick-based development and how fast these products are turning around new features and putting out new additions, I can imagine that the automated testing that you all were talking about earlier would have some benefit there in terms of if application developers can turn around a new version of an app, it still can't go on the phones until it's been vetted. So with the automation, what kind of benefit do you see automation giving us in that regard? From an IAP evaluation perspective, we really see this opening up the doors for and lowering the barriers for these apps to come in for formal IAP evaluations. If they can use automation to complete the majority of their testing, the amount of money it costs and effort to do such a thing would still be vastly lower than it is prior to automation. And then for the app vetting, I'll let Vincent take that, but I think that's going to have even higher ramifications for Vincent's world. So for apps that say, you know, aren't required, you know, government develop applications versus apps we consume. In general, I think mobile application vetting is definitely a needed area where, you know, you definitely can trust to a certain extent the various stores because they do some vetting of their own, right, with Google and Apple. But keep in mind, you know, the policy oriented, right? Maybe for us in a union, I don't want GPS at all allowed on any application. It might be a legitimate function. But for us, being able to screen the apps via app vetting for an enterprise makes a huge difference for us, right? So that we can control and abide by to protect our devices and our our information, our people, right? And so I think overall, app vetting itself, as you move towards automation, it just makes it more seamless. And you can set criteria where it says, hey, if it passes this, you know, risk threshold or threat threshold, then I flag it and I don't allow it on the phone. Right. Um, These types of things where you take away the whole manual process, you know, and I've seen it, you know, take upwards of tens of hours. It's about 60 hours per app to do an evaluation for man hours versus I can do it in 120 minutes and it's automated and I can trust the results. And I would say that the key thing for something like this, you know, regardless of the vendor saying, oh, I can do it, is it really comes down does is the evidence good enough and the proof good enough to provide, you know, evidence in this case, we wanted to know the NIAP validators would be willing to accept, right? And so I would say when you think of the protection profile, that's your gold seal. That's the highest is you're going to get. And for other people, you may want a subset of that. But the thing is, you know, you want to draw from these types of requirements for app vetting really to help protect your device, your application, and your information as a whole. Finally, one of the things we were talking about earlier was like we talked about the CISOs and what role they can play in this. So what mobile security best practices do you both recommend government CISOs implement that will secure their mobile devices and back-end networks? 
I would say that, again, I'm going to refer back to NIST 800-124 Rev 2, mainly because it talks about, you know, that whole, it not only defines it in the standard, I just happen to be one of the authors of that one with NIST. It's a NIST document by all respect. But what I would say is that in NIST 800-124 Rev 2, you have to consider not only the definitions and the capabilities that are out there, but it does cover certain recommendations to mitigate the threat. And more importantly, it actually covers the deployment models and actual lifecycle management of it. So, you know, basic things that you're going to do as far as, you know, picking the type of device that you have, right? So maybe you want to take it from an approved products list, that whether it's yours or say it's commercial solutions for classified component list, then that's one aspect. The apps that you have on there, keeping your, you know, cyber hygiene is normal, right? Device update, operating system, applications, only keeping the apps that you need. But overall, for an enterprise, when you talk to a CISO, you really need to look at that whole lifecycle management, right? What type of data am I going to have on the device? Where are my users located? How am I going to deliver it to them? And the types of security products and capabilities I, I want to employ. And I will say, and, and we have this in other reports and other things we've done for like GovCar, it's a cybersecurity architecture review for mobile, where we talk about, you know, the device, right, being cognizant of that, the enterprise mobility management, also known as mobile device manager, right? So you manage the phone configuration management policy enforcement being a, another piece. And then things like mobile threat defense, right, endpoint protection on the phone, and things like mobile application vetting, and of course, identity, all those are really the cornerstones on how I manage, deploy, you know, O&M my device before I, you know, dispose of it. So I know that's a long-winded answer, but the key thing is you have to look at it from a lifecycle management for devices in your enterprise. So I agree with everything Vincent just said and also just wanted to add that NSA's Cybersecurity Directorate actually just recently published a mobile device best practices technical guide that I would recommend on the NSA website. And while it is targeted for end users of mobile devices, it could still absolutely be used by CISOs as a good resource for their workforce and include some best practices such as patching as soon as possible, identity management, Similar to what Vincent said, just being really mindful of where you are and what services you really need. Remove those apps that are not actually needed on that phone. And then, of course, I have to plug NIAP certified products one more time. So I'd highly recommend that CISOs utilize NIAP certified mobile devices and MDMs and apps when possible. Thank you very much, both of you, for your time. Vincent Stridapan and Michelle Brown. This is John Romps for Cybercast. Thank you. Thank you very much. Pleasure to be here. Thank you. Cybercast is a production of Government CIO Media and Research. For more podcasts, head to governmentcio.com slash podcasts. If you're interested in sponsoring a podcast, contact us at sponsor at governmentcio.com. 